Hi folks, Jason Crane here reminding you about the 100 by 300 campaign. The idea is to get 100 members by the 300th show. Membership is easy. You can do it in one lump sum each year or month to month for as little as 10 bucks a month or $110 a year. If you choose one of the higher levels, particularly the $500 a year or $50 a month level, you'll be mentioned on every single show. You'll be an official sponsor of the Jazz Session. The 100 by 300 campaign. Visit thejazzsession.com slash join to become a member today. Once again, that's thejazzsession.com slash join. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the world's... The world's? Sure, why not? It's supposed to say the web's, but the world's leading source, let's just say. The universe's leading source for uh, MP3 downloads and reviews and jazz news and all that stuff. I kind of butchered that, but what are you going to do? Uh, every episode of this show is archived uh, for free at thejazzsession.com, so you can just go there and uh, download all the previous episodes if you'd like, or you can stream them right at the site. It doesn't cost you anything. However, he said, however, if you were to uh, come over all kind of guilty about the fact that you're getting so much free content, uh, there's an easy way to uh, assuage that guilt, and that is by becoming a member of the Jazz Session. Super easy to do. Just go to thejazzsession.com and you'll see uh, the links at the top and the left side to become a member. You can uh, do it for as little as 10 bucks a month or $110 a year. There's also a $25 and $50 a month level or a $250 and $500 a year level. At the top level, either monthly or yearly, you'll be mentioned on every single show as an official sponsor of the show. And you'll also get uh, access to bonus content and other things uh, that are coming up. So please do that. Go to thejazzsession.com and become a member. I'm looking for 100 members by the 300th show. My guest today, one thing I need to say about the interview with my guest today, Rodrigo Amado, is that uh, this interview was conducted by phone to his home in Lisbon, Portugal. As you'll hear in the interview, I don't know what the Portuguese are doing with their phone system, but it's significantly better than almost any phone interview I've done in the U.S. I mean, I have literally interviewed people who were 300 miles from here. He's all the way across the ocean, and uh, this phone connection sounds sounds better than most U.S. phone connections. So kudos to uh, the Portuguese for apparently understanding how phone technology works. That's fantastic. Uh, Rodrigo is uh, an incredibly active musician. He's got a gazillion records uh, under his own name. He was one of, as you'll hear in this interview, one of the people who uh, helped start Clean Feed Records, and many Clean Feed artists have been on this show. He's got a new record, though, on Not Two called Searching for Adam. It's kind of a difficult record to excerpt uh, for the purposes of this show, because most of the tracks are fairly long, so you're you know you're only going to get a little snippet uh, in in each particular clip here. But it begins with this tune called Newman's Informer. <laughs> ¶¶ 
My guest is saxophonist Rodrigo Amado. He has a new CD called Searching for Adam. It's on the Not Too Record label, and it features uh, two people who've been on this show before, Taylor Hobynum on cornet and flugelhorn and Gerald Cleaver on drums and John Hebert on uh, the bass. Rodrigo, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show. It's a pleasure. I'd like to start off just asking about uh, how you, this band came together. I know you selected these people particularly, these these particular individuals. Uh, why? How did you come to know their work, and why did you choose them for this record? Well, um, it, it happened uh, before with um, with uh, some some people that I, I put together for projects. Like I'm, I'm uh, thinking about uh, Paul Nielsen Love and Ken Kessler, for instance. Uh, I, I just knew them uh, and their work from listening to records uh, because I, I lived here in, in Lisbon, Portugal, so uh, my contact with uh, musicians from the, the U.S. or even from other parts of uh, Europe is not so so easy. So uh, in, in this case, you know, I was listening to a series of records where they were, where they were playing, you know, and... Um, uh, I think the, the the first one that uh, came to my mind was uh, was Taylor, by his um, abstract uh, playing on on the trumpet and you know like uh, uh, very very malleable, very um, uh, very different from my own playing, for instance. So I imagine uh, he would he would um, make a, a nice uh, uh, counterpoint to what I was doing, and. Um, after uh, proposing uh, to Taylor if he wanted to to do this uh, project, then I, I thought about uh, Gerald. Uh, you know, because he's uh, in my head he was uh, like uh, almost the opposite uh, of Taylor. You know, he was very grounded, very very organic, uh, and very related to the to the roots. You know, something uh, um, that that I thought it would make a. 
perfect balance with Taylor's playing. And um, um, John Herbert, I, I had uh, met him in uh, in New York, and I was, uh, I think it was maybe the bass player that uh, impressed me most, uh, seeing him live. He, he's uh, an extraordinary player. And, yeah. So um, that's how it came, you know. I think uh, you and Taylor are, as you expected that you might be, are very good uh, counterparts to one another. One of the places I think that really shows up on this record is on Waiting for Andy, where there's all this very uh, kind of moody, almost somber saxophone, and, and meanwhile, playing in the space above it is this very pointillistic abstract um, work by Taylor, and it seems to, exactly. seems to really work beautifully on this record. It was uh, it was uh, uh, also a, a surprise, like uh, all this uh, ended up um, uh, turning out. You know the music because we in in my own projects I, I always do uh, total improvisation, and I, I face it in a, in a, you know um, uh, more like um, um, real time composition. So. Uh, I never talk about anything with uh, with the musicians, you know. But uh, as we we start playing, uh, um, I, I I I try to set a, a kind of energy that really cares about form, about uh, um, you know, um, maybe nurturing some themes that come up. Or and it it was amazing how how we we just met um, uh, in. The, the, the night before, so when they arrived by by plane, they arrived in uh, in Porto, and um, we made a small rehearsal in the morning of uh, of the next day, and at night we were playing uh, in Casa da Musica, in a big concert hall, and the music was perfectly balanced, you know, and, and uh, so uh, this for me in a way is always a surprise how how things turn out so near of what I imagined before. Um... 
forgive me if this is a, a stupid question, but how do you know in in these situations when a piece is finished? On this album, there are you know there's a piece that's four minutes long, and and the piece we were just talking about, waiting for Andy, is 21 minutes long. How, how do you have a sense when when you've when you finish talking about this particular music? Well, um, um, I, I think this this has to do with uh, with um, improvisation uh, discipline. You know, I think it has to do with uh, with um, experience each music musician has and um i think this happens with uh, every musician that improvises you know uh, we we just know it's finished you know you you suddenly there's a you know there's a flow of energy in the air and then that flow somehow finishes you know and it really finishes i i, I never do uh like uh, cut in, in the improvisations, like to, to provoke uh, an ending or something, I, I, I might sometimes. It, it happens rarely, you know. If um, if we do a, a piece uh, that I think the the, the 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 second part of the piece somehow is really really strong, and I, I don't want to lose it, I might you know take out the first part and then uh, put the, the, the second part on. But uh, but it's very rare. I don't like to 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 play around with the with these uh, things. Rodrigo, why is it important to you that your projects be freely improvised? Well, it's it's not um, it's just a, a, um, an option, you know, because I, I play in other projects like uh, Humanization Quartet uh, or um, uh, uh, I play as guest musician with other projects here in Portugal that I don't play um, uh, total improvisation, but. Um, well, I started in music like that, you know, just improvising. It was the, the biggest uh, learning experience for me, always, was the improvisation part. And uh, uh, when I had the, the um, opportunity to start playing with uh, more experienced musicians, with musicians from the U.S., other musicians from Europe, then uh, um, I, I tried to, to approach it from the, this uh, from this um, point, from the improvisation point of view, and I, I felt uh, I, I already had uh, um, uh, a lot of um, uh, experience in this uh, in this discipline, and I felt like I could uh, project my own concepts, musical concepts, with improvisation. So I just figured I could, you know, like really focus on it, so I could. Um, I could go further, you know, I could go deeper 
And this is what I'm really interested uh, in right now, is getting this, uh, this uh, concept, uh, you know, uh, deeper and deeper, and, you know, see where it can lead, you know. Uh, I'm, when, when I see a, a musician like uh, Evan Parker, for instance, in, improvising, I, I can feel the, the, the deepness of what he's doing, and I, I, I wish I could uh, reach a, a, a point like that or uh, anywhere in between, you know? Just, just the, the, that uh, a goal like that for me is uh, really fascinating. When you say that you began by improvising, do you mean in the way that, that most children do, where they... You know, just pick up the instrument and see what sounds no, can be made. Or do you? I, I began. I began playing the saxophone uh, late in my, in my. I was already seventeen years old, and um, uh, I got it. Uh, I think you you might know the story already. I got it because uh, I had a big accident. I went through a glass door, and so I was uh, immobilized for a, a long uh, period of time. And my mother asked me if I wanted something to, to help me pass the time, you know, while I was in the hospital and then at home. And I, I answered immediately a saxophone because I, I was always really interested in music. I was obsessed with music. I was always listening to, to music. And I was very, very curious uh, about the, the saxophone. So I, I, I started playing with uh, very little support. You know, I, I think I had uh, the first teacher I had was uh, some someone who played in a, a military band, you know, just to give me the, the really, really basic things. And uh, after that, I, I, I met a, a group of, uh, of um, people in, in my school that uh, were also musicians, and we would gather at uh, the house of one of them. He, he, he lived alone. Uh, and we would gather there and play all afternoon, you know, like for hours and hours and hours, just playing, just improvising. And um, basically, although we were uh, not very experienced, we were doing exactly the same thing, you know. We were uh, just happy by, you know, started playing and tried to create something together uh, from scratch. How do you so, explain your open-mindedness as a musician? I mean, that's a that's a remarkable thing to start, first of all, to start that late, relatively late in life, and then to be drawn almost immediately to a, a a kind of unbounded improvisation. How do you explain that? Well, um, um, I, I, I was born. Uh, my 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 father um, uh, is a, an architect, but, but he is also a painter, and he turned to to painting uh, early in life. So, uh, and then he he completely gave up architecture. So he basically is just a painter. And um, my mother was connected um, with a lot of um, uh, artists also. She worked uh, uh, with the design. Um, so um, I grew up in, a, in a, an environment where uh, arts were, uh, you know, very, uh, uh, were an important thing. And um, uh, I think that's uh, part of the, of the reason. Also, like I told you, I was always uh, crazy about music, and uh, at 17 I was already listening to a lot of stuff, you know, like uh, all kinds of uh, alternative uh, rock, uh, rock, Brazilian music, uh, jazz, uh, I don't know, uh, a lot of things. I had my, my room filled up with uh, LPs, you know, like every space 
available was <laughs> so I, I was listening to a lot of different things uh, when I got the saxophone it was like just a, an explosion of all those influences everything coming together in, in, in the form of improvised music I remember we were playing in that um, in that uh, house in that uh, friend's house we were playing all kinds of crazy uh, things you know there was a, a, a moment where, when we had bands rehearsal, uh, rehearsing uh, also in his house, you know, the, the very different kind of, uh, of bands. And the, the musicians, when they would finish the rehearsals, they would uh, join us for improvisations. So it, it was very, very, um, uh, a lot of different things going on. <laughs> know anything about uh, the jazz scene in Lisbon. Can you tell me something about it and what it was like to, to come up as a musician there? Well, um, the jazz scene in Lisbon uh, changed completely um, when, when uh, Clean Feed was uh, created. Um, until then, it was basically um, very conservative. Um, I just want to mention that I just want to tell people in case they don't know that Clean Feed is a record label that you were part okay, of the okay, founding okay. of. Okay, sorry, go ahead. And and um, so Cleanfeed was founded in uh, 2001. I, I knew uh, fairly well the the, the, the jazz um, uh, environment here because I, I was um, uh, directing a, a big megastore in Lisbon for music. We had everything: instruments, uh, records, DVDs, everything connected with, uh, with music. And uh, we had a very very strong um, jazz uh, uh, section. And Pedro Costa, who runs Clean Feed now, he was uh, the head of the, 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 that section. And um, uh, um, we, we were amazed by how little music the, the jazz musicians here in, in Portugal listened to. They, they, they knew very little music. They were only interested in, in the, 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 the basic things, you know, like really mainstream or the classics like Miles Coltrane, all that stuff. And... Um, so um, there was um, we we were not crossing influences uh, a lot with other countries and everything, 
clean feed, one of the, the reasons why we were so passionate about uh, creating clean feed was exactly to, to, to start changing this and uh, to give up opportunity from uh, some musicians that we had really uh, interested, interesting musicians here to, 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 to know uh, musicians from other parts of the world and uh, uh, maybe to record with them and uh, you know, to start uh, um, uh, challenging people to, to, to learn more, you know, to, to be more curious. And um, after Clean Feed uh, started, it, 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 that, that uh, you know, it created a series of events that uh, very quickly changed everything here. You know, musicians started coming, musicians that that were going to record for uh, for us. I, I was uh, with Clean Feed from uh, 2001 to 2005. And in, in those four years, it was amazing, you know, we, uh, when, when I left, we, we already had um, distribution in uh, most uh, parts of the world, you know, Japan, uh, all over Europe, US, uh, um, so a, a lot of things changed in four years. And um, now it's it's really interesting. We have, uh, uh, um, I, I think we're one of the European countries with uh, more uh, jazz festivals. Um, with the biggest part uh, is uh, more um, mainstream oriented, or uh, sort of. And uh, but we also have a lot of uh, interesting festivals that are, you know, uh, programming uh, challenging music. So it's still. The, the transformation process it's still uh, full on you know that's an incredible story I mean you just you decided we need to have this and so you made it and totally transformed the music scene that, that's incredible well yeah I, I don't think we we made it you know we just uh, we just uh, did the, the, the label but uh, things uh, also happened you know it, 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 it was a, a, a whole um, a series of uh, everything that that uh, made it uh, be what it is today. Of course, uh, uh, Pedro Pedro Costa is uh, is uh, a natural communicator, and he has a, re uh, a real talent for uh, for communicating with people and for um, uh, transmitting his uh, passion. So that's uh, a big part of, of the thing, of course. But um, uh, also, the, we, we we got so many. Uh, people supporting us you know and giving us incredible in the beginning the the, the first group that we uh, recorded um, uh, the, uh, the Pedro had already recorded them when he invited me to join clean feed it was the the implicate order it's uh, that trio with um, um, uh, Ken Filiano Steve Swell and uh, Lou Grassi and uh, those guys uh, kept coming year after year, you know, with, with very little um, uh, conditions. We didn't have a lot of money, and they just kept coming because they felt there was something uh, special happening here. And um, after them, other people came, and, you know, it's, it's been incredible, an incredible experience here for us, you know. Ha <laughs> 
This, uh, this new record, Searching for Adam, was recorded uh, in Lisbon. Why did you decide to record it there? Well, um, um, I, I, I don't know. Somehow I, I, I prefer to do the recordings here. For instance, uh, we are going to do um, a U.S. tour. It's, it's going to be our second U.S. tour with a humanization quartet. But uh, we always prefer to record it, um, to, to make our recordings in Lisbon. Um, for for w- w- one reason is that we have a really, really amazing studio here. It's, um, it's an, a very old studio. It has um, uh, uh, some of the best equipment, like uh, really old microphones in, in perfect uh, shape. Uh, they have a, a room that can record uh, uh, an orchestra, uh, a symphonic orchestra, all wooden, and we can record the quartet just there, you know, without any separation, all recording in the same room. So this familiarity with the, with the studio and with the guy that does the, the recordings, uh, Joaquin Monte, he's doing a lot of recordings here in Lisbon, this is a, a big uh, part of the thing because uh, I, I, I already uh, recorded um, a couple of times in New York, for instance, and the studios are much smaller, you know, the conditions are, you know, really different. And um, also, I don't know, uh, have you ever been in Lisbon? I haven't. There, yeah, there's, this, this city has an incredible energy to it, you know. Maybe that's part of the, the reason, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this record really benefits from being well-recorded because there's so much, uh, I mean, quiet interplay at times, but, but even when yeah. it's not quiet, you can really hear each instrument incredibly clearly, and I think that really that really helps the music because obviously that's the point. <laughs> of course, yeah. So, uh, but, you, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Sorry, let, let me just uh, um, talk about something. Is, is, um, for instance, m- many people ask me why I, I don't um, do more um, live recordings, you know, because there's this uh, thing that people talk about that, you know, when, when the music is played live, it has more energy, it has a different kind of vibe. Well, um, I understand that, but also for me, uh, I'm really more interested in the in the studio energy, you know, uh, a little more um, uh, contention, you know, the the movements, the mu- musical movements are more deliberate. Uh, uh, I, I, I tend to prefer to record in the studio, you know. I I, I keep um, doing some some. Um, uh, experiences with recording live, 
but um, in the end, I, I, I've been getting more interesting results, at least for me, you know, of course, in the studio. You mentioned that you're doing a U.S. tour. That's this summer, right? Uh, yes, it's um, June and uh, July. We we will um, uh, tour for one month, more, more or less, and um, we we are going to do the the same kind of um, of um, itinerary like we did in uh, uh, 2009. We did uh, um, um, an East Coast tour. Uh, we start in uh, Dallas because uh, that's where we rehearse for the the tour, and then we go up and we finish the um, the tour in uh, in New York on the 10th of July. We will play the the Stone in um, in the um, as part of the Clean Feed uh, Festival. And then you have uh, a bunch of gigs that are coming up uh, closer to home for you, right? Yeah, um, I, I, I just knew uh, yesterday that we were invited, also Humanization Quartet, we were invited to play the Jazz em Agosto festival, that's uh, in August, of course, and uh, it's it's very strong festival, very interesting, it has uh, um, uh, always uh, uh, lots of great lineups playing, and uh, so this was really, really nice uh, news for us. Also, I'll be I'll be playing the um, Jazz Al Centro Festival. It's uh, another of the strong festivals we have with creative jazz. It's uh, held in uh, Coimbra in um, in May, so that's uh, nice. Um, I'll be playing a, a festival also also here in um, in uh, Lisbon in April. That's uh, Festa da Musica. Uh, it, it, it was also nice and a surprise for me to be invited with my trio, with Motion Trio, because it's a uh, very mainstream-oriented uh, uh, jazz, you know. They feature a lot of, uh, of uh, bands from the schools and everything, so it's really nice that they're, you know, more and more mixing uh, avant-garde, experimental, improv uh, stuff with, with uh, all the rest of the music. It's nice. And um, uh, besides these this, this, um, more important gigs in festivals, uh, we we play a lot of times in, in small uh, clubs or you know like uh, there's we, we, uh, right now we don't have a, a jazz club in Lisbon, uh, which is amazing. <laughs> um, wow! Because we should have like three or four, but um, we we only had one hot club and uh, the building uh, burned down. They had a fire and uh, the building burned down. So um, right now they're rebuilding the club in uh, in the same uh, area, in the same square where the old one was, but in a different building. And uh, we hope to have uh, the hot club back in in, in summer. You know. My guest is Rodrigo Amado. He and a fantastic quartet with Taylor Hobinum, John A. Barrett, and uh, Gerald Cleaver have a new album that's called Searching for Adam on Not Two Records. And it's been uh, really fun to talk to you. Great to listen to this music. And I uh, thank you for taking the time to do it. Hey, Jason. It was a pleasure. Thank you. 
That's music from Rodrigo Amado and his album Searching for Adam on Not Two Records. I'm Jason Crane, and you are listening to The Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. See, I can do it. Every episode of this show is archived for free for your listening or downloading pleasure at thejazzsession.com, and you can also become a member. Many thousands of you listen to each episode of this show, and so far, at least at the moment that I'm recording this introduction, uh, only 17 people have become members, and I need 100 of you to do that by the 300th show, so hop to it, kids. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for contributing the theme music to this show. They are online at respectsextet.com. And thanks also to Dave Rabel for designing the show's logo. And you can follow him, and I recommend you do because he's very funny, at uh, twitter.com slash Rabel. Get out there, if you would, whether you're in Lisbon or uh, somewhere else, and support live jazz whenever you can and wherever you can. And then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Hit it, Red. <laughs>